Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is How to Get Rich Quick and Keep It. How to Get Rich Quick and Keep It. You think you've got a televangelist today here, right? Uh, Mark chapter 10, 28 to 31. Now imagine you had some money to invest. Some of you, it's probably hard to imagine for some of us. Let's say it's $1,000. And you go to Brad, who's not here. You go to Brad for advice. And so I told him I'm going to really pick on him since he's not here. And you go to Brad for advice. And he says, I guarantee you a hundred times return on this $1,000. You're going to end up getting back $100,000 at some point in your life. What would you do? Uh, he, by the way, he said he can't do this. But, but anyway, uh, I'm sure you would put that $1,000 down. You'd go find a lot more money to put down. You'd find any money. You'd be getting your change out. You'd be emptying pockets, uh, looking under the car, car rug there. Anything you could do, because that would be amazing, right? You go, and you would tell everybody you know about this 100 times guaranteed. We're going to see that Jesus offers each one of us a 100 times guarantee on our spiritual investments. We're going to see that today. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that as we look at this, that your spirit would speak to us and prepare us. And you would really speak to us about what we invest our lives in and what we spend our time in and what's going to really matter for eternity. And I pray that if anyone here doesn't know you, they've never put their faith in your son, Jesus Christ, that they would your spirit would speak to them through your mercy and grace, and they would understand that and come to faith. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. It's Matthew, Mark's second book of the New Testament. We just finished looking at the rich young man, but we really called him the poor young man, right? Because he had just traded his eternity for a temporary. He had just traded life, eternal life, and, and eternal rewards, treasures for garbage, really, because he walked away from Jesus. And Peter chimes in, which is a big surprise. Let's pick it up with verse 28 here. Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. That's a big surprise. Peter chimes in, right? But Jesus assures him and us, whatever we give up, we're going to see this in just a minute, whatever we give up, God will give back times 100. And it will be an eternal reward. It will be an eternal return that we can never lose. Let me read the whole passage here, starting with verse 28 again. Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So we see in verse 28 here that Peter chimes in. He asks this question because the disciples had just come to the realization that it's humanly impossible to be saved. Remember we talked about that last couple weeks? And they were all shook up. And Peter says, hey, wait a minute. Unlike the rich dude who just walked away from us, we gave up everything to follow you. But now it looks like it's impossible even for us to get to heaven someday, to get gets to be saved. What's the point? And the real question is, the real question he's getting is, after all we've given up, are we going to be saved? 
Are we going to go to heaven? He's asking Jesus this. And let's look at verses 29 to 30 when Jesus, we're going to really focus on these two verses. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions in the age to come, eternal life. So Jesus assures them. He assures the apostles here, no one who gives their life, no one who follows me will ever lose out in this life or the next life. You will never lose out. As long as our motives are right, and as long as we view life from an eternal perspective, we're guaranteed a hundred times return. Guaranteed on this investment. And there's three keys here that jump out at us. And I actually found three Ps. I found three Ps to put with the keys here. And the first one is priority. The priority. He says, whoever gives their life for me and the gospel, if we do it for Jesus Christ and so that the good news about him can be spread, that has to be our priority. That has to be the purpose of our life. Our priority in life is living for Jesus Christ and the gospel. If that's our priority, if that's the purpose of our life, whatever we give up has a guaranteed reward. But the reward isn't necessarily what we would expect. It's not necessarily material. We have to keep the perspective of a spiritual, eternal view to really understand the, re the hundred times reward that we're going to get, which brings us to the second P, and that is people. People. That's really what Jesus is talking about, people. The focus here is mostly on people because that's the only thing we can take with us. My mom used to say, my mom and dad are here today, and she used to say that all the time to us. Ground that into our heads. The only thing I can take with me are my kids. And, and that's what she focused on. And thank God we all, all have put our faith in Christ and she's going to get that. But look what they give up. He starts off with homes. Not houses, but homes. You see the distinction? This is a little word of faith teaching like you see on TV. Send me money and you're going to get 100 times back again. And why is it always sending them money? Why isn't it giving to the poor people? You know, you get, you know, you know that whole scam they're running, right? Uh, but they wouldn't get a jet then, would they? So anyway, the, the 100 times, it's homes. And a home is a place where we find family. That's what Jesus is talking about. It was hard for me to, to leave my home and my family for ministry. I remember it being really hard you know, leaving, and I was really sad. But God has blessed me now with, with a whole new home, with, with an amazing wife and hundreds of kids. Well, no, only, <laughs> only 13, but it seems like hundreds at times, right? And each place he's called us to minister to, we found a church family. Five different churches I've ministered to over the last 30 years, and now we have hundreds of homes. Hundreds of, of homes where, where we have spiritual family. Hundreds of families that we're connected with. And, men, and all of you here, this is our church family now that God has left us here for a long time, which has been super. And speaking of families, he take, go back to the list here. He, he talks about brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. But notice that when you go from verse 29 to verse 30, something's missing on that list. The father is missing. Notice that? We don't get hundreds of fathers. Why? Because once we put our faith in Jesus Christ, Matthew 23, 9 says, For you have one Father, and he is in heaven. 
When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, notice that we, we leave our father, but we don't get another father because we, we don't get hundreds of fathers because we have one father. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God the Father becomes our father, our Abba, Daddy, he becomes for us. And he is the only father we will ever need. The moment you say, God, I, put, I believe your son Jesus died for my sin. I put my faith in him. I ask you to forgive my sin. I give my life to you, God. The moment we make that decision, we are given a father. An eternal father. And, and he becomes, and, and like I said, Abba, Father, Daddy. In Romans, they're Daddy. That, it's a very intimate term that, that we can come to him any time. And it's the only father we'll ever need. But back to the list here. Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children. You get hundreds in return. Many times I think of this with missionaries. So often they have to live far from the children. Once their children grow up and they go off to college or, or they start their new life, the missionaries are still far away from their kids at that point. And if you often they have to live far from them. Or if you, your children go off to the mission field. That's a hard thing because they're far away and, and you don't get to see them much, although with cell phones and Skyping, it's awesome. But when you do that, these missionaries that give up their children because they've grown and they're off with their own families now and they don't get to see them that much, that's a hard, hard thing. But think of the hundreds of children that they get, spiritual children that they have now in return. I think of Bill Simon comes to mind uh, when he was in the Philippines, and I remember being at his memorial service, and the, the theme that came out at his memorial service, he was in the Philippines for 35 years and, and all kinds of different things, and Dr. Reverend William Simons, but what everybody knew him as Bill Simons, but the, at his memorial service, some of you were there, you remember, what came out was he was a spiritual father to so many Filipinos, and even when he came back here, so many people, and, 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 and one of his sons stood up in the service and said, this was really helpful for me to hear, because it was hard not always being near my dad. And, and being in different countries, you know, and, and, and not getting, him not getting to see the grandchildren as much. But he realized that, wow, my, my father was a spiritual father to so many. And that's what happens. God replaces those children. But notice something in this list here. He says children, but he doesn't say a very important other name here. What was left out? Wives. He didn't say to them, whoever leaves their wife. Notice he didn't say that. Marriage should never be sacrificed for ministry. Kids shouldn't be either. You know, when they're little, you know, when they're in college and all that, it's a whole different thing. Same thing goes for kids. So many pastors and missionaries sacrifice or ne really neglect their children for, for ministry. But that's not right either. We should never neglect our children for ministry. Children are on this list because they grow up and they move out, or they're, or they're often called away to another mission, and, and that's why they're not there. But, but notice wives are not on this list, because wives, marriage should not be sacrificed for ministry. Unless someone's given a specific special call, like persecution, and you, you're in prison or martyrdom, that's different. But even the apostles didn't leave their wives. In 1 Corinthians 9, 5, Peter traveled with his wife. He took her along on his missionary journeys. Did you notice that? Did you ever catch that? That our ministry should not come before our marriage. Unless it's a special call, obviously. The list does have one item here that's not people. But even that ends up with a human face. Even that ends up. And that's what? Fields. 
fields. Property that, that we own and that we make income off of. It's interesting that he didn't use, didn't use nets, the fishermen. He didn't use business, didn't use anything like that. He used his fields, but Jesus had a reason. There's, a, there's no accident that he used fields here. If we give up one field, God will give us hundreds of other fields. Once again, not word of faith teaching on TV, you know, trying to get a lot of money off of people. It's not that. No, the fields that Jesus are ta- is talking about here, the fields that he's talking about are not material, but they're also people too. It is all about people from the start to the finish. In John 4, 35 to 36, it says this. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so the sower and the reaper may be glad together. That's the fields he's talking about. The fields that we're given when we walk away from one field, the fields that we're given are people to share the gospel with. We walk away from dirt and then we're going to give in dust, right? (laughs) Dust. We walk away from the dirt field, we're giving dust people to, to minister to. For me and the gospel. And Luke 10.2, 10.2, it says this. He told them, Jesus said, he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. Go. We often leave out the go, don't we? Once again, we see that fields are the people who need the Lord, and we're to pray, and we're to be going. Whether it's across the street or across the world, we're, we're to be going to the fields. I know I left the farm, the fields, for ministry, although I really didn't have a choice. My dad was never going to let me stay on the farm. The, uh, you've all heard a lot of the farm stories. And it was hard for me to leave the fields, but I never had that choice. Uh, and I don't think my mom would have let me stay either. First of all, it's a miracle that I survived on the farm. I was thinking of a couple stories this morning. One was, remember when we got the silo done? When was the silo done? 68 or 9? 69, okay. 69, so I was... Since eight years old, and my little brother Todd was six. Think of Emily and uh, Andrew, all right? And uh, so he was up at the top of the silo. We were filling it, and he said, I want you to come up to the top and help me out. We had to push buttons and all this stuff. I said, okay. So he said, come on up, and he meant come up the inside. There's an enclosed chute, cement enclosed chute. You climb the ladder, you go up, and if you start to slip, you would grab the wall, and you'd be okay. But I don't know if I heard him say that. Anyway, I started climbing up the outside, and all there was these these railings around into the cement, these rungs, and it was 60, 70 feet up to the top, uh, 70 to the very top. And I remember starting to climb up the outside to go help my dad. And and my I, my little brother Todd saw me doing this. He was six, and he started following me up to the bottom. And I remember I was about 30 feet up, and I see him right on my heels, and I said, "Go back down, Todd. Go down." And he wouldn't listen to me, he never listened to me. So he kept going, I just kept going. And, and then pretty soon my mom came running out and she saw me going up the outside with my little brother Todd. And she started screaming, come down, come down. She started screaming, get down, you're going to kill your little brother. Get down, get down. And, and that, we just kept going. And so anyway, I get, to the, I get to the top and she's down there screaming and you know, freaking out. And, and we're both hanging up there 60 feet in the air you know, on these little railings you know, we we're hanging on to. And uh, it was like a playground, right? And so the monkey bars. And so we we're hanging on. And I said, Dad, I'm here. And he goes, where are you? I go, I'm right here. He goes, where? He's looking down the chute. I go, I'm outside. He goes, I told you to come up the inside chute. It's too dangerous out there. Go back down and come up the inside chute. Even at that age, I was like, 
how is it not more dangerous to climb all the way down again and come back up or just climb into the silo where I was there. I'm already there, right? And meanwhile, my mom's still screaming. And we, we get that. I, we, so I go back down and Todd and I climb back down and, and we get to the bottom. And my mom said, what are you doing? I go, dad said, come up. And then he wouldn't let us in, you know? And she, he did. And then she starts screaming up the tunnel to him. And he's screaming down. I didn't tell you. And they're fighting. That's the key. Always get your parents fighting. Then they don't yell at you for what you did, right? And, uh, and the, and the fields were just a whole other thing. Uh, I made a mess of a lot of things. Um, I remember one time I was chopping hay. You were chopping it. Sometimes you bail, sometimes you chop it. I was chopping hay, and you're supposed to chop, and you're supposed to sit and watch watch the machinery and watch the row and keep an eye on the row, keep an eye on the on the wagon and on the chopping. You're supposed to be looking at everything all at once. But I had my feet up on the steering wheel and I was just kind of sitting back, kicking back, enjoying myself. And I did notice the, the wagon was getting extra full. I was like, wow, this wagon is really... I'm going down and, and I finally get to the end of the road and I look back and the wagon's like tipping over. I'm like, oh. I was supposed to be watching, right? And... Uh, and I noticed that one of the wheels had fallen off. I'm like, oh, well, ooh, that's not good. The wheel had fallen off. And so I'm like, well, I'll just get the wheel and set it next to the wagon and say, oh, Dad, the wheel just fell off. So I got off and I looked back and I looked down and the fields was about maybe a half mile long. It was real, one of our long fields. And it had fallen off on the other end of the field. So I had driven the whole way and there left this, I said, I got to go all the way and get that wheel. And so I went and got it, and I'm wheeling it back, wheeling it back, because my dad's coming out with another empty wagon, the switch. And I'm wheeling it back, and I'm, and I'm like, I'm noticing as I'm wheeling it back, there's a rut about a foot deep all the way down the middle of the field. And now I'm not going to be able to like, say, I just found it. So now he's going to know I lost it a long time ago. So now I'm in big trouble. So I'm like, okay, how am I going to survive this? And I came up with a plan. My dad comes zooming down, like, what's going on? I could see him all upset, you know. And he gets off, and he runs over, he goes, what happened? You know, he could tell what happened. And uh, because there's a big rut all the way down the field. And I said, well, remember how you said you were going to plow this field up and, and plant corn next year? I just thought I'd get a head start for you. He didn't hit me. He didn't hit me. He almost smiled. He didn't hit me. That's the key. Get your parents to smile if you do something. That's the other key. My kids use it on me all the time. But anyway. I had no choice but leaving, but sometimes I still think about the farm and the fields, and I miss that part of my life, but usually I'm way too busy because I have new fields here and new hope that I'm dealing with all the time, always dealing with. There's a third P here that's usually overlooked, but it's vital, and that is, verse 30, and with them persecutions, persecutions. This is a guarantee that we don't often hear about and we don't like to think about too much, right? But it's a critical key here. It's a critical guarantee that we have here in the scriptures. Because he says here, and with them persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And what's important, it's vital for us to talk about this, is because persecution is coming to the U.S. It's coming to the U.S.A. So don't be shocked. We have to be prepared. The Bible warns us over and over that Jesus was hated and was persecuted, and we will be too. In fact, in John 15, 18 to 21, he says, 15, 18 to 21, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is the why the world hates you. 
Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Lots packed into those verses that we can apply to all kinds of persecutions in our world, in our country, in our world today, in our country today. Historically, the true church and true Christians have always been persecuted. You read the book of Acts over and over again. You see what happened with the Roman Empire and all the persecution. We see what happened with the Inquisition, with the apostate church, what it did to the true Christians. And it's never stopped. It's worldwide today. Over one million people are martyred per year in the world today. Read Voice of the Martyrs. I hope you're getting that magazine. Or go on and, and Google it and get it. Or Open Door Ministries. Brother Andrew, same thing. Really, really powerful. I just got another one, which I've already forwarded to, the, to you at, in the church. But I, I don't know if you're getting it. The, the Denison Forum. I don't know if you've been starting to get that yet. Once again, another really good one to get because it talks about our culture and what we're facing. But I'm just going to read a couple of things that were just in the last report that I just got this week. He says, Father rejoices that daughter died for Christ. To die for the sake of Christ, that's the happiest thing for me. I'm grateful that she didn't change her religion. She trusted in God. So states a Nigerian pastor upon learning that his daughter, which was kidnapped by one of the radical groups, refused to convert to Islam. He was told that the terrorists dug a hole buried her up to her neck, and stoned her to death. His wife added, I believe she died with dignity. Monica is now in heaven because she refused to convert. This is what's going on all over the world every day. The widow of one of the 21 Egyptian Christians that was beheaded by ISIS last February has made a similar statement, testifying that she was very proud of her husband, that he stood firm in his faith, and that he didn't deny Jesus. And there's story after story in, in, in Voice of the Martyrs and, and Brother Andrew's Open Door Ministries and the Denison Forum and all, just so many, so many pictures of this. Historically and worldwide, it's, it's going on and it's accelerating and it's coming here. It's coming here. Matthew, how do I know that? Because in Matthew 24, 9, which talks about the birth pains that increase and increase, that are increasing, in Matthew 24, 9, he says this. Jesus prophesying said this. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. All nations. There's no exception clause for the United States there. All nations. The Supreme Court ruling about marriage is just another step toward persecution. It's just the latest tool of Satan in his hands, this whole issue that we're facing in our country today. When I was growing up, I remember it was communism. Remember that? It was communism. Com Satan's tool is communism, and, and he would kill Christians and persecute Christians through the tool of communism. The, in much of the world today, it's ISIS. And the whole movement with the radical Muslim movement killing and, and persecuting Christians. But in our country, it's the Supreme Court's recent ruling, and that we all know the direction this is going. That's, this is a tool going to be used by Satan as a tool to attack the church and attack Christianity. They're not using it in any other group. 
Did you know the group? I don't know if you've been following some of these things on the internet. Somebody went in, pretended they were a gay couple, wanted a cake. They went into a Muslim shop and said, make us a cake. And they said, get out of here. And nothing, they reported that, nothing happened. It's only when Christians cross the line. It's aimed at Jesus Christ and Christians. And they're already coming out talking about the tax exemption. They're going to try to take that away from churches. So what? Do we only give to God because we get a tax exemption? That shouldn't even affect one penny that we give, should it? Right? But it's going to move fast from there. There's already fines and people getting fired from jobs because of their religious convictions. And there's fines and firing. And, and hate crime laws that have already been passed are going to be crafted. How do I know? Because people have told me to my face, threatened me with these things in this town. Said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to craft it so that you can't preach the truth of Scripture. And if you speak against it, there's going to be fines and even jail sentences. You say, oh, that's impossible. Look what's happened in a very, very short time. And the whole goal is to marginalize. And this is the goal, to marginalize true Christians. Because once you can marginalize and ostracize true Christians, not the fake wishy-washy ones, but the true ones, it sets up for real persecution. Look what the Nazis, if you've ever studied history, look what the Nazis did in Germany to the Jews and the true Christians who stood up against them. You read it and it's chilling because it's the same steps. We're walking the same steps that we're seeing in the United States today. But God is in control. He has an ultimate purpose. Jesus has already warned us. He's guaranteed this is what we're going to face. He knew. God has an ultimate purpose. He's refining the church and he's refining each one of us. He's refining us personally, and he's refining the church. We're seeing the true church being separated from the false church. We're seeing biblical teachers being separated from false teachers. We're seeing that happen even now. And God has a purpose. We're gonna, it will result in God's purposes being re fulfilled in our life and in the world. That's what's going to happen. His purposes are going to be fulfilled through this time of persecution. Back in Matthew 24, a few more verses there. Matthew 24, verse 9. Matthew 24, verse 9. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Now get this, God's purpose. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. A refining of the church, showing who's real and who's false, right? Verse 11. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. A refined Real church will once again turn the world upside down. We'll see worldwide evangelism, just like in the New Testament church, just like in the book of Acts. And we're going to see who's for real, who are the real Christians and who are the false ones. We're going to see who, who is for real. And the real ones here, it says, are going to be saved. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. Just like in Mark 10, 30, where he says, and you'll receive persecutions and eternal life. With them persecutions and eternal life. Are we prepared? Are we prepared for this time? Are we preparing ourselves and our families for this time? Because it's, we don't know what's going to come. It could be tomorrow. It could be 100 years from now. We don't know. But it's guaranteed going to come because it's the words of Jesus Christ. And back to the, the Denison Forum, he, he had a good illustration here from Corey Ten Boom. Many of you have seen the Hiding Place movie. Corey Ten Boom, known to the world for her loyalty to Jesus when she was imprisoned by the Nazis. She was protecting Jewish 
people. She was asked how to prepare for persecution. Listen to what she says. She makes four suggestions. Number one, we need to feed on the word of God, digest it, and make it part of our being. Two, we need to develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just the Jesus of yesterday, the Jesus of history, but the life-changing Jesus of today who is still alive and sitting at the right hand of God. Number three, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not an optional command of the Bible. It's absolutely necessary. Number four, we must be ready to help each other and encourage each other. The fruit of the Spirit should be the dominant force of every Christian life. This is a woman who survived the concentration camps when most of her family did not. She survived it. She's seen it all. Then she added a personal, because this is scary, right? You read these things and it's scary. What's going to happen? How are we going to do this? What's going to happen to my kids? But she added a personal note. When I was a little girl, I went to my father and said, Daddy, I'm afraid that I will never be strong enough to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. Her father replied, tell me, when you take a train trip to Amsterdam, when do I give you the money for the ticket? Three weeks before? No, Daddy, you give me the money for the ticket just before we get on the train. That's right, her father said, and so it is with God's strength. Our Father in heaven knows when you will need the strength to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. He will supply all your need just in time. It's not something we can work ourselves up to handle. It's not something we can help. It's all grace, and God gives it at just the right time. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us through this word here? Are we prepared? Maybe there's something in our life that's holding us back keeping us from living the life, the full life, the real life that Jesus Christ has called us to live? What person, place, or thing is holding us back, keeping us from really following Jesus Christ? What's our priority in our life? Is it to live for Jesus Christ and, and to share the gospel? I'm going to give you a test from Scripture to tell us if we're doing this. It's an easy test. Memorize this one. Second Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. This is a fact. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is a guarantee. If you are living for Jesus Christ, we will face persecution. If we're not facing any kind of persecution, why not? Probably because we're not living a godly life for Christ Jesus. Now, I don't talk about being obnoxious and looking for trouble, but if we live out the truth of Jesus Christ in our life, and if we speak the truth in love, remember last week? Listen, if you weren't here last week, speak the truth in love. We're going to stick out like a sore thumb in the United States today, aren't we? We're going to stick out. There's no way around it. The test is this. Are you popular or persecuted? If you're only popular, that's not good. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We're not looking for trouble, but we're living that godly life in Christ Jesus. We're speaking the truth of love. Remember Ephesians 4, last week we talked about that. If we're doing that and in in, in, in speaking the truth in love, we're going to face persecution. Maybe you're saying you aren't a Christian yet. 
You're not facing anything with persecution, but you are facing judgment. Do you have eternal life? What's keeping you from that life in Jesus Christ? What do you, usually there's something we don't want to give up to, to surrender our life to Jesus. There's something we don't want to, to give up. Just like when we don't live for Christ fully, same thing even coming to Christ. There's something we don't want to give up. Somebody that we don't want to give up. What's keeping us from giving our life to Jesus Christ? What do we need to give up to surrender in order to live and follow Jesus Christ? The starting point giving up is we need to give up our sin. If there's some sin, something in, in, in God's word that God says our life is out of line with what God wants, we need to give that up. The Bible calls it repentance, to turn and walk away. The repent means to actually be walking one way and you turn and walk the other way. That's repentance. And the Bible says that before we can give our life to God and put our faith in Christ, there has to be a repentance. It's saying, God, I, I repent of my sin. I walk away from that sin. I ask you to forgive me for that, for, for my sin. I ask for forgiveness. And it's vital that we do that because in Romans 6.23 it says, For the wages of sin is death. Just as we're guaranteed a reward for following Jesus Christ, we're guaranteed something else if we don't follow Jesus Christ. We're guaranteed because of our sin death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Eternal death. Separated from God from eternity in hell. That's a, that's, a, that's a guarantee from Jesus. But he doesn't want us to go there. That's why he, he, he died on the cross for us. That's why he rose again from the dead. He took our sin on himself on that cross and rose from the dead to prove he was the Son of God so that we could put our faith in Jesus Christ. And then to follow him and give our life. And if you do that, you're not losing out on anything. If we do that, we're not losing out on anything. We get a guaranteed return a hundred times, and it's really priceless. It's eternal life, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We get life forever, and eternal life doesn't start someday in heaven someday. It starts now. The moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside and lives in us, and we start to live a brand new life in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he starts to transform us and change us in, in ways that we never even dreamed of, in shocking ways. What will we pick? Will we pick the wages of sin or the gift of life in Jesus Christ? Every one of us has to make that decision. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, I want to encourage each person to talk to God and to take time to let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never given your life and you know there's something keeping you. Something or somebody keeping you from putting your faith in Jesus Christ and giving your life to him. But today the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He's calling you and I want to encourage you, don't wait. Don't put him off. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. He's calling you to life, real life. And what you give up is garbage compared to what you get. It's, it's a whole new life which ends up in heaven with God, your Father, someday. But the starting point is you have to give something up, and that's sin. 
You can do that by praying to God right now. It doesn't take a religious person to help you. You don't need a religious ritual. You don't have to do anything except surrender to God. Just say, Jesus, I, I believe you died on the cross for me. For my sin. For every wrong thing I've ever done. Everything in my life that goes against your word. I believe you died on that cross for me. I ask you to forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in you, Jesus. And I'm going to follow you. If you've prayed that prayer, you have just received eternal life. And a lot more on top of it. You're going to get hundreds of great things. But the, the best thing is eternal life. Life forever with God. Starting now. I want to encourage you to let somebody know if you've prayed that prayer. Maybe you came with a family member or a friend. Maybe you fill out the card and stick it in the box or tell me on the way out or call or text or email. Let somebody know. And if you don't have anybody else to tell, tell me. I'd love to know about it to help you grow in your new faith. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Are we prepared Are we prepared for the persecution? Do we have the right priority in our life? Is it Jesus Christ and the gospel? Who are the people that God has put in our life to, that that he's called us to reach out to and to share the love of Christ and the gospel with them? What people has he put in our life to, to speak the truth and love to? so that they can find life in Jesus Christ too. What in our life is blocking this from happening? Keeping us from reaching our full spiritual potential in Jesus Christ. Father, this is a really hard passage. It's hard on our flesh. And we're human and it's scary. But Lord, I pray that each one of us would be like little Corey Ten Boom. And we would take your hand and trust you on this journey of life that you have us on, this journey of faith that you have us on. And we would trust you for where we should be going and what we should be giving up and Trust you, even if we face intense persecution in our lifetime, we just pray that we would trust you and for, you, for the mercy and the grace for that time. I pray that every, us, every one of us would pass that test in 2 Timothy 3.12, that we would be living godly lives in Christ Jesus and would know the joy of facing persecution because of the, the reward, the approval we get from you and the reward that we get from that. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.